0: Well, good morning. How is everybody? Look, I'm asking again. I'm trying to get a better response than at the beginning here. Let's try this one more time. How are you doing? You okay? Man, it's good to see you all. It's just good to be a part of a family together. And if you're a guest, welcome. I want you to hear me very clearly. Today, you are a part of our family. We love you. We're glad you're a part of this time. If you're online, this is your first time, or maybe you're still kicking the tires of faith. Welcome. We love you. And we're just glad to celebrate Jesus together this morning. We're going to get into part four of our teaching. As we do, grab your Bibles very quick. I know you got them, so go ahead and get them. If you don't have a physical Bible, grab your digital Bible, also known as your phone. I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to go there in a moment. So Acts chapter 11, if you want to jump ahead, go to verse 19. So Acts 11, verse 19. Once you're there, hold your spot which is hard to do if it's digital. And then go to Acts chapter 8 with me, okay? Acts chapter 8 and 11. We're going to go in there shortly this morning. While you're getting there, I just want to once again welcome you to our fourth and final week of this series that we've been calling The Disappearing Church. Where the church is headed and God's plan to turn it around. Where we're headed and God's plan to turn it around. Now listen, as I've said, every week, every week we're not a doom and gloom church We are not worried that the world is about to end. By the way, friends, the darker the world gets, good news. The darker the room, the darker the world, the brighter even the smallest light becomes. So don't you dare get depressed or discouraged. This is where we get to lean in and say, I can't wait to see what God is up to. But we've been looking at some troubling trends from a book that came out a number of years ago called... The Great Evangelical Recession is by a man named John S. Dickerson. He has six different trends that he saw a few years ago that we're seeing even more now that were concerning. And, And so we're looking at four of the six. It's a great book. I encourage you to pick it up, get the other two. But we're looking at each of them because here's the reality. In January, we began this year, 2021, with taking the land. Remember that in the book of Joshua? Because I believe that many of us hit pause on life in 2020. And God's call is not that his people should stop, stall out, or go backwards. But God's call for his people, especially in dark times, is to push forward. And so we began the year saying, it is time to take land at home, at work, in your neighborhood, at your school, that God's glory and God's fame might fill this city. And we said, that's where we're going. And so everything you're going to hear All the way through this year is really going back to how do we do that? How do we do that? And so we've been looking at, well, what's the reality of our nation? Because until you can see where you are, it's hard to know where to go. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone who's tried to lose weight? Anyone who has tried to get their finances in order? How many of us know you've got to know where you are before you can move forward? So this is an where we are kind of series. And today we're looking at the fourth and final factor. Let me remind you of the previous three. Number one, factor number one, write this down or remember this. We said that the evangelical church, the evangelical church, let me pause you there. The word evangelical does not refer to a particular denomination. It refers to a particular set of doctrine. It refers to a Christian who holds certain truths, certain orthodox views about particular beliefs. So, for instance, an evangelical person will believe that the Bible, all 66 books is inspired by God and authoritative for our lives, meaning we don't get to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. It is from God for us to listen, obey, and follow. Can I get an oh yeah? That's evangelical. Evangelical says that there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's not many ways, but he is the way, the truth, and life. And some of us go, oh, I wish there were many ways. Folks, I'm glad there's just one way at least. And Jesus is that one way. So that's evangelical. The evangelical church, we said, in the United States is much smaller than we've been told. It's not 80% of Americans, or 40%. Evangelicals, people who believe what we just described, are only 7 to 9% roughly of the United States population, meaning less than one out of every 10 people is like this. That's number one. Second factor we said two weeks ago was that unless generational patterns change radically, many ministries will see revenue decrease by 50 to 70% in the next 10 to 30 years what does that mean it means that the american church that's key phrase the american church not global but american church ministry is dollars dependent right you need dollars to do ministry so if dollars go up you can do more ministry at least that's how we've organized nationally for years but if dollars go down what does that affect ministry right and so if you lose 50 to 70% of the dollars, how does that affect the way we currently do ministry? Do you follow? That's the second troubling trend. Now, with trend number one, we said, hey, the, the solution is extraordinary prayer because every move of God begins with prayer. When we say to God, we can't, but you can, he does. The solution to this one, we said, was two things. One, to become more generous and to become more creative in the way we do ministry. Become more generous as individuals. If you don't give, I encourage you to start giving. If you give a little, I encourage you to give more, and so on and so forth. Become more generous, but also become more creative in how we do ministry. That was the second one. And then last week, last week, you remember last week I preached from my home. How many of you were watching and you saw Josh preach from home? Any, any of you here? So it was weird because I was sitting over here while I was watching myself up there, and now I know it, you have to suffer through week in and week out. <laughs> and I'm, I, on the drive home, I'm like, I'm talking to my spouse about the bad preaching that Sunday. Okay, so, so last week, right? I mean, come on, you do it. I'm joining you now. Okay, so, so last week we said, third one, factor number three, the evangelical church in the United States is losing the people it does have. And the 20 things are exiting faster than any other group. Here's what this means The people at highest risk for walking away from the faith are your children and grandchildren. Statistically speaking, your children and grandchildren walk away quicker and longer and more final. This is a big deal to us, isn't it, church? Any of us in here care about the next generation? This is a big deal. And so what we said, we said, hey, look, we're going to continue having church. We're still going to create and have opportunities for young people because we believe in that. But listen, listen, we said that discipleship cannot be limited to an hour or two on Sunday because if you limit discipleship or it's all in a building or it's all from professional ministers, here's the reality. The greater influences around them will push out what they learn for one or two hours on Sunday. But discipleship has to begin at home and go from Monday through Sunday, not just Sunday. So those are the first three. Today, fourth and final one is simply this. The national population is booming, which only emphasizes the evangelical is shrinking in size and in Christian influence. In other words, we're smaller than we thought we were. We're losing people we didn't realize we were losing, and, and the population is growing. You say, how is this not bad news? Listen, church, this is not bad news because... We have always done our best work when we have been pressed, historically speaking. So I'm excited for where God is leading. Now, let's talk through this for just a few minutes this morning because there's a beautiful solution that I want us to look at here. Bottom line, though, is simply this. Every generation is reaching fewer people than the previous generation. So the builders, my grandparents' generation, they reached more people than my parents' generation, the boomers. And the boomers reached more than the Gen X generation. And the Gen X generation reached more than the millennial generation. And now the millennials, by the way, did you know this is the first year that some millennials are turning 40? We're not so young anymore. But the millennials are reaching, are are reached more than Gen Z. My point is we're reaching fewer and fewer and fewer. Now, some people will see this and they'll say, that's only in some of those really pagan parts of the country, right, Josh? I mean, that's not true of... This area in Chattanooga, this is not true. It's only like in Seattle, Washington, or New York City, right? Well, by national polling data, this trend is true nationally, including here in the Bible Belt. Now, at Clear Creek, by the grace of God, we see people coming to faith regularly. Who's happy about that here? Isn't that good news? That's great news. But the reality is, even though we see it, it is not happening nearly as fast to keep up with population growth. You say, Come on, Josh, are are you sure? Okay, let's do a little brain experiment here. Every one of you, go ahead, think with me for a moment. Over the past year, consider the number of people you know personally who came to faith in Jesus Christ. Go ahead, think through it. How many people is that? Is it five people? Ten? Maybe you can think of 20 or even 30? I mean, that's great, isn't it? 50? Now, Get that number. And then, how many new babies can you think up who have been born over the past year? What number is higher? That's what we're talking about here, family. And so, because of this, this has led researchers and others to say, what is going on? What is happening? I love what John Dickerson said. He says, despite the billions of dollars invested in churches, ministries, all across our nation evangelicalism has not kept pace with the population growth. Why is that when evangelicals in the United States have more wealth, assets, and technology than the evangelical church has ever had in history? Yet the church is declining at home. Somehow, he says, somehow our employment of this wealth has not been fruitful enough to hold our ground at home. Why? What's happening? What's going on here? I love what... George Barna, he's a researcher and surveyist who has studied the evangelical churches for decades. He makes this statement, quote, at any given time, he says, this is the problem, at any given time, a majority of believers do not have a specific person in mind for whom they are praying in hopes that person might be saved. Most church Christians believe that since they are not personally gifted in evangelism, such outreach is not a significant responsibility of In other words, they're saying, I don't do this very well. It doesn't come naturally to me, so I won't share my faith. That's why in his book, The Shape of Faith to Come, Brad Wagner surveyed 2,500 Protestant churchgoers of all ages, and he found, quote, in the past six months, only 29% said that they had shared with someone how to become a Christian twice or more. And 57% said they had not done so at all. So in other words, he's saying less than one out of every three have shared their faith. And almost two out of every three have not shared their faith even once in the past six months. And they both agree that the core problem, the reason the population is outpacing the church in growth is because of this phenomenon. You say, well, what is it? Well, here it is. Why? Why? The reason that we are in the situation we are in is simply this. Most Christians leave the preaching and reaching to the professionals. And I put that in scare quotes because the reality is just because you get paid to do something does not necessarily mean you're a professional at what you do. How many of you have had really bad managers who got paid, but they weren't good at their jobs? Can I get an oh yeah from anyone this morning? And yet, and yet, here's the reality. Many Christians, many Christians have said, because it's not my gifting or I'm not a professional, I will leave that to someone else. And hear me now, hear me now. The world suffers because of it. Friends miss out on the good news of Jesus because of it. So what do we do? What's the solution to all of this? How do we turn this around? Now, I know some of you are thinking, I know, Josh, I know. The solution, the solution is that we need more preachers, And I'd say, yes and amen, absolutely, absolutely, but not in the way you think. In fact, the solution up on screen says this, the solution is really to commission all Christians to preach and reach their next person for Jesus. Not just the select few, not just the professionals, but everyone who follows Jesus Christ. This is God's plan from the beginning, in fact, from the mouth of Jesus, he gives us this plan. By the way, show of hands, how many of you think Jesus was a pretty smart guy? Anyone in here think Jesus? This should be universal, folks. Okay, let's try this again. How about this one? How many of you think Jesus might know what he's talking about? Anyone else in here? Okay, a few more right there. We're going to look at Jesus's plan, and here's the great thing about his plan. It is simple, and it involves you. No one gets left out. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is a foundational verse for our church at Clear Creek. Acts 1 verse 8, notice what he says here. These are Jesus' words to his first followers before the church is launched. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, isn't this a cool thing? He says, I'm going to the Father, but I'm sending you to the nations. You will be my witnesses. By the way, the word witness is the Greek word that we get the word martyr from. A martyr, someone who dies for their faith, is simply one who witnessed for their faith. He says, you're going to be my witnesses, and it's going to start in your Jerusalem, where you live, at your home, your neighbors. That's your Jerusalem. And you're going to be witnesses, not just there, but you're going to be in your Judea, Samaria. That's the rest of the area around you. That's going to be where you go to school or work or where you have hobbies or the grocery store and you've got judeans there and samaritans in those spaces judeans are people who are just like you and samaritans are people who you'd never spend time with but you're going to be a witness at home and then to these greater groups of people and collectively we're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth isn't that great and you're like yeah that's awesome i'm so glad that jesus told only a few to do that aren't you did is that what happened did jesus go hey peter peter here's the deal okay you're going to be the one. And all these other guys, they're going to show up once a week, and they're going to sit in padded orange pews or chairs or whatever we're sitting in, and they're going to sort of they're going to cheer you on as you tell them what they ought to be doing or as you tell the gospel. Is that what Jesus did? Or did Jesus look at James and John and say, "James, John, you guys are going to be the ones who share your faith in the public sector. You're going to do it at your job. Or you're going to do it at work or at your school." That's what you're going to do. Is that what he did? Now, hey, you want to know something? I love this passage, but maybe not for the reason you know. I love this passage because it proves to me that Jesus is a good old southern boy. He, he is. And any of you grow up here in the south? How many of you were raised here in the south? I just, let, let me see. So, okay. So, so, so when we say you all to everyone, what word do we actually use? Y'all. Did you know that's the word Jesus is using there? It's not a singular word. He's not saying you, George. He's saying you all, y'all. Jesus Christ is like us. He's a southern boy who looks at this group and he says, y'all get to do this together. And the good news is, is the power of God through the Holy Spirit will come not on just some, but he's going to fall on y'all. Hey, hear me now. The God who spoke galaxies into existence promises to give you the same power in your life that brought Jesus out of the grave. It's not just for me. It's not just for a select few. It is for all of us. And if you want to see a revival in our city, if you want to see your neighbors saved, if you want to see... The schools where our children go change. If you want to see the temperature in your work shifted for the glory of God, it doesn't happen from one person on Sunday, but from y'all, all all of us, stepping into the glorious mission that God has given us. Isn't this good news? Some of you are going, no, I don't think it's such good news because I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I'm going to give you a couple things to do here in just a moment, but hang with me. This is great news. In fact, because the church took this so seriously, the city of Jerusalem began to be flipped upside down. People were being saved. Marriages were being put back together. People were being healed. Children were being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That simply means they loved Jesus. They were becoming generous with their money. They were being generous with their time. They were caring for the people who had no one to care for them. And the city of Jerusalem was becoming this little outpost of heaven on earth. And the church goes, this is awesome. And so what do they do? Because they transformed Jerusalem. What did they do? They stayed in Jerusalem. Why? Because it was comfortable. Anyone else like to be comfortable? I love to be comfortable. I love my bed because it is comfortable. I love certain foods because they are comfort foods anyone else like to be comfortable and the reality is the church got so comfortable in acts chapter 1 that they stopped going until until god finally said okay i, I got to do something to to push you out of the nest to get you to continue moving so he does what every smart restaurant does you say what does that mean did you know i'm very disturbed by this reality did you know that restaurants This is pre-COVID, mind you, but restaurants will turn the temperature down just a little bit in the restaurant just to get it cool enough that you become uncomfortable so that after you eat that wonderful meal, you don't want to sit there for two hours, lounged out on the pew waiting for the coma to finish, right? They turn it down just enough so you're like, let's get out of here so they can put someone else in your seat and feed them up and send them out. And that's what they're doing, okay? They turn the temperature down just enough to make you uncomfortable. That's what God does to the church in Jerusalem. Things are changing, and He allows persecution to happen, and the church becomes uncomfortable. A man named Stephen is executed for his faith, the first martyr, and the church becomes uncomfortable. And as a result, in Acts chapter 8, the church begins to move out from Jerusalem because they did not obey Acts 1 8. God brings them to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And notice, it says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And notice this phrase, all the believers, except the apostles, except the special ones, except the professionals, all the believers were scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria. In verse 4, look at what it says here. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. When they went to the ball fields, they went not simply to play ball with their kids or to watch, but they went to share the good news of Jesus. When they went to the grocery store, they didn't simply go to get eggs and milk. They went to share the glory of God. When they entered into their workspace on Monday morning and the time clock was punched, they did not simply go to make a dollar, but to make a disciple. Everywhere they went, they shared the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what began to happen. And the gospel continued to spread, but it was not just the special ones, the professional ones. It was everyone. And so then we see this happen again, chapter 11, verse 19. Notice the same phrase. It says this, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled. And notice this, they preached the word of God. Now listen, before we put this next thing up, notice they're preaching, they're all doing this, and something happens. Listen, the reason you and I don't share the name of Jesus with others is because primarily, I believe, if you have a good heart, if you love God on any level, and I know you do, it's not because you hate people, it's because you are afraid you won't know what to say or you won't know what to do. Am I right on this, fam? You love people. I know you do. I watch how you care for each other. It's not because you don't love people. You just kind of go, I I don't know what to say. I I don't know what to do. But notice this next phrase. It is as a result of what they were doing. Notice this. And the power of the Lord was with them. God's power showed up when they preached. Hear me now. Is it possible the reason we don't see or experience the power of God? Is it possible that happens Because we never put ourselves in positions where we need the power of God. See, see, listen, family, if you will step out, remember in Take the Land series, when they stepped into the water, that's when God did something miraculous. You remember that? It is as you step out of your comfort zone and you begin to preach and reach your next one for Jesus that God's power will show up in a way you've never experienced before. Some of us are living lives that are far less than they are intended to be. Listen, hear me now. If you're not doing this, I'm not upset at you. If you're not doing this, we're not mad at you. If you're not doing this, no one's going to yell at you. But if you are doing this, you are selling your life short. Your life is worth more than coming here once a week to have someone preach at you for 30 minutes and for you to try to stay awake during those 30 minutes. And then when you're done, you go we're done, I'm good for the week, let's go home. Any of you believe that you're meant for more than that? You are meant to be a part of the mission, and as you step into the mission of God, His Holy Spirit will empower you, and you will see things happen that you would never imagine. Hear, hear me now, some of you, some of you tomorrow, you're going to get up and you're going to strategize how you share your product, or how you expand your brand in business. And those are good things. I hope you do that. I hope God blesses you. If it is a God-honoring job that you have, then I pray he will bless you. But hear me now, hear me now. At the end of your life, your sales, your brand, your business will no longer matter to you or anyone else. It will not benefit you one whit after you die, will it? But sharing the name of Jesus... That will benefit every person you share potentially for eternity. Don't sell yourself short, church. God has a mission for you, and it is bigger than you could imagine. And so, and so, the church, because they did this, notice a large number of the Gentiles, the people who didn't believe, believed and turned to the Lord. You're going to have friends, you're going to have neighbors who come to faith because you opened your mouth, not because I preached on a Sunday morning. This is how God wants to reverse the trend that we are seeing. What would it look like? If a year from now, or five years, or ten years from now, we see in Chattanooga this being the reverse, that the population is shrinking by comparison to how many people who are coming to faith. What would it be like if you could not walk down the street without someone that you interact with already knowing Jesus Christ? Not because of how good we are, not for the name of this church, but for the name of Jesus. How amazing would that be? And and think about this, for your children to see you at a young age saying, this is why I'm here. So that when they leave the house, they carry with them the reason for existence that you showed them. That's the mission of God. My time's almost up here, so let me finish up here. I want to give you just a real quick thing. All this, let me give you a mental picture so you can kind of get it. How many of you, we've done this before, but how many of you, raise your hand, remember this store called Blockbuster. Let's just do this one more time. Anyone, Blockbuster? Yeah, okay, so in the previous worship When all the students and kids were in their places, there were a lot more hands that went up in the 930 than right. Okay, let me explain. Blockbuster was a building, right? Okay, it was a building. You would drive to this building, usually on a Friday night, Saturday night, and you could rent these things called movies, and they were on these things called VHS. Any of you know what I'm talking about here? I would say they're like giant cassettes, but then they'd go, well, what's the cassette? Okay, it's just, it's this thing. And you'd have to rewind it because no one, you say, wait, you have to rewind? Yes, there was not like a button that just automatically played it. It's just, it was archaic. How did we live? I know. And so if you wanted a movie, you went to Blockbuster. Now, here's the deal. If you wanted a movie, did they have as many copies of that movie as anyone would want? Did they have 60, 80, 100, 1,000 copies of one movie? No. And there was always one movie you wanted to see that some joker rented seven weeks ago, forgot about it in the backseat of his car. He's racking up college-level loans worth of late fees, and you can't rent it because he still has it. Any of you remember this? That was the way used to be done if you wanted to watch a movie there's a guy named chris anderson he wrote a book called the long tail in the long tail the way it used to work is on the left side the most popular movies the new release movies that's all that they would carry at like blockbusters and things because they didn't have infinite storage space did they they couldn't have everything so they just picked the very best well those are the ones and you have high sales on those but then there's this really long section that anderson calls the long tail that they would not carry because they didn't have space for it. But Anderson noted something. He said, the long tail, the revenue from the long tail was greater. With all these lesser-known titles, not as popular. He the revenue from all of these was far greater than the revenue from just the most popular, newest releases. And he made the point, he said, churches and organizations and forward-thinking groups, if they can mobilize the long tail, they will thrive in the future that is to come. This was 15 years ago when he wrote this. By the way, where's Blockbuster today? Does anyone else find it humorous that Netflix, the ones who just kind of took all the business from Blockbuster, Netflix just released a title called The Last Blockbuster on their streaming service? It's like, boop, Right? Yeah, what happened? So you get these streaming services that because of their platform, they are able to offer all of the long-tail titles. Not as well-known, not as popular, but they are just as effective. What does this have to do with you and me? Church, the way we have historically done church and sharing our faith is we bring people to the big box. And you get the most popular or the best or the people who are paid to do the work, to teach, to sing, to coordinate with kids and youth, and the rest of us do nothing. And I just want you to know we're not going to sell you short anymore because the way God orchestrated it is that all of us would be on mission sharing the good news of Jesus with all of our friends, God's plan. Yes, the building. We're going to continue doing what we do on Sundays, but we want to encourage you to step into mission because you are in places and spaces that only you can go with people That you have influence over and no one else will. This is God's plan, God's mission for God's church. So let me give you two ways to do this. If we're going to commission all, I want to give you two ways to do this. Number one, first, you need to put together a name list. A name list. Who are the people that God is putting on your heart to pray for specifically that they would come to salvation? Who are those people? Who are those people? Maybe it's one. Maybe it's a dozen. doesn't matter. You need a name list. And if you go, Josh, I don't know who. That's Okay. Your prayer today is not to pray for those people, but to ask God to give you the names of those people. That we would look up out of our own lives. I know we're busy, but that we'd look up out of our own lives and we'd see the people God's calling us to reach. You need a name list. Number two, after you have a name list, you need to be in a disciple-making community. We call them small groups. Some places call them discipleship communities. Others, house churches, there's all sorts of names. Bottom line, you need to be in a group of people that will encourage you as you Share the mission of Jesus as you preach and reach to your friends and family. Listen, no one else can share your faith for you. But other people can encourage you as you share your faith. In our groups, I love what we do. We read the scriptures and then we ask two questions. We ask, what will I do with what I've just learned? And who will I share it with? What will I do with what I've just learned? Because it's all about obedience, family. And then who will I share it with? You need people to encourage you. Listen, as we do these things, I believe God is going to awaken a movement in our homes, in our city, and around our country because God has big plans in this area. I want to ask you to take your communion this morning. Go ahead and grab it with me. This moment that we celebrate every Sunday is about the story of one who then commissioned all. And I've, I've often thought, what, what must God have thought about to prompt him to send his son? And then I heard a story about a man named C.T. Studd. He was a famous athlete in England about 150 years ago. He was top of his game, top of his field. He was a Christian, but it was not the, it was not the thing that marked his life. As you hold this emblem, I want to read to you something. It was actually the thing that changed E.T. Studd's life. He found a track that, was, that had a letter from a man who was not a Christ follower, an atheist. And this letter from the atheist so penetrated Studd's heart that it changed the trajectory of his life in every way possible. And I wonder if the words that I'm about to read are the words that would have been on God's heart when he saw you and he saw me. If these were the words and the kind of feelings that God felt for us, so much so that he left heaven and he came, they left the praise of his angels and experienced the cross in our stead. C.T. Studd read this from an atheist. It said, Did I firmly believe, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion in this life influences destiny in another? Well, then religion would mean everything to me. I would cast away all earthly enjoyments as dross, earthly cares as folly, and earthly thoughts and feelings as vanity. Religion would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep sank me into unconsciousness. I would labor in its cause alone. I would take thought for the tomorrow of eternity alone. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences should never stay my hand nor seal my lips. Earth, its joys and its griefs, would occupy no moment of my thought. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on the immortal souls around me, soon to be everlastingly happy or everlastingly miserable. I would go forth to the world and preach it in season and out of season, and my text would be... What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Upon reading this, Stud said, that's what I want my life to be about. And he gave up his career. He sold so many of his possessions and he went into missions. I want you to know, God is calling you into the mission field this morning and it doesn't necessarily require that you sell your house and your stuff just requires that we have the heart like christ to see the people around us and to preach and reach them because when you hold that emblem in your hand the bread symbolic of christ's body the juice symbolizing his blood that is what god did for us he left heaven came to our home to preach and to reach